Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church. It is a delight to be here with you and to be worshiping our great God and now to have the opportunity to turn our ear, to turn our hearts, to turn our eyes towards truth which God has revealed to us that we might know the Lord more and draw near to him in love and enjoyment of his goodness. Uh, This past several weeks have been a massive blessing as we've been able to hear from many different voices. And I know that my soul has been deeply encouraged each week as we have gathered together under the preaching and the ministry of God's word. I wanted to take just a few moments and share how God has been at work in my heart over these last several weeks. Uh, Many weeks ago, Pastor Eric came back from sabbatical with Krista and his family and shared about what the Lord had been teaching them. And one thing that really stuck out that morning for me was this whole idea of presence. Uh, Being present with where God has us and with who God has us with. And uh, then just this whole concept of abide, and that's really what abiding in Christ is all about. It's making ourselves continuously present to the Lord and then being consciously aware of God's continual presence in our lives. Then Pastor Nate took two weeks and talked about a theology of go and a life of go. He summed it up like this. It is God's people on God's mission for God's glory in the everyday Uh, One thing that I don't think was the main point of what he was trying to do, but he kind of challenged us, encouraged us with this whole idea of uh, kindness, just kindness to our neighbors, kindness to those whom God has sovereignly placed in our lives, and what a light and testimony that is to the work that God is doing in our souls. Then after that, Pastor Josh, excuse me, from Bloomington Bible Church came, and I was thoroughly encouraged with the first like five minutes of his message when he came, and he said, by God's grace, God is doing a mighty work in Bloomington, and it would not be possible without what God is doing here at Harvest Indy West and the support that we've been able to offer to that church family. And it was a beautiful reminder of the interdependence that God has sovereignly woven into his people and his church that as we partner with one another for the sake of the gospel, his great name and gospel are advanced. I walked away from that Sunday. He talked about Psalm 131, and it was this whole idea of what blessing there is to be found and experienced in the soul that has been calmed and quieted by hoping in God and not in ourselves. Uh, I needed that message. And I imagine in the world in which we live in, in a culture that is consumed with busy, 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 go, 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 produce, 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 that many of you were blessed and encouraged and challenged by that word. Last week, 
Pastor Nick helped us to lift our eyes from six feet off the ground or five feet, six inches if you're me, off the ground up to the Lord and to see God and behold God for how he's revealed himself in his word and to be reminded of his greatness and his goodness so that our hearts might explode with hallelujah, praise the Lord. Harvest, I just want to say this morning, I was so blessed by Pastor Eric, by Pastor Nate, and Pastor Nick over these last several weeks. Uh, These men are my pastors, and I am so thankful to the Lord for them and for their labor in the word and what God Almighty has done through his word. Praise God for all of that. Well, this morning, we have the joy of beginning a new series, a five-week series in the book of 1 John called That You May Know. That You May Know. We are talking about walking with Jesus, and this whole idea of walking with Jesus is not an I hope so kind of faith. It's not a, oh, I really think so kind of faith. Walking with Jesus is an I know so kind of faith. Thomas Brooks, a Puritan preacher, said this, the being in a state of grace makes a man's condition happy, safe, and sure. But the seeing, the knowing of himself to be in such a state is that which renders his life sweet and comfortable. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your Heavenly Father wants you to know that you belong to him. Not just hope that you belong to him, not just think that you belong to him, but to know with certainty that you belong to him. He wants us to be confident in our salvation, and being confident in our salvation is neither presumptuous nor arrogant. It is biblical. It is godly when God's people are confident in their place with the Lord. John is passionate about God's children knowing a number of realities to be true. In fact, a quick survey of the book reveals the following. Uh, Don't feverishly write these down. This is a long list. Uh, After service, if you want, we have them written down for you. You can come up and grab one. They're up here in the front. Uh, But just listen to these truths that come out of 1 John, that he is passionate about us knowing and understanding. We can know that we know God. We can know that we are in God. We can know that it is the last hour. We can know the truth. We can know that Jesus is righteous. We can know that we will be like Jesus. We can know that Jesus came to take away sins. We can know that Jesus is sinless. We can know that we have passed out of death and into life. We can know love. We can know that God abides in us. We can know the spirit of God. We can know that we will love God's children. We can know that we have eternal life. We can know that God answers prayers. We can know that we will not practice sin. We can know that we belong to God We can know that the Son of God has come. We can know him who is true. 39 times in the book of 1 John, he uses the word know. 
knowledge, certainty. These realities are important to John. These realities are important to God's children. And these realities are important to God Almighty as he inspired these words as penned by John. Assurance of salvation, being confident that you belong to God, is essential to the Christian life. Being confident that you belong to God is essential to the Christian life. Now, there are two sides on the path of assurance to which people tend to fall. On the one side, there are those who are genuinely in Christ, and yet they struggle all their lives to truly believe that they belong to God. J.D. Greer, a pastor down in Raleigh, North Carolina, and he's also the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, wrote a book called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, to which his 13-year-old daughter was like, why would you do that? Uh, But in the opening chapter, he admits that he was baptized four times. He says that he's probably prayed the sinner's prayer 5,000 times and that every time he was in a service and a speaker gave an invitation to come to the Lord, he would take it. Perhaps you can relate this morning, praying time and time again for God to save you, biting your nails and wondering if you really meant your prayer when you prayed it or if you were really sorry enough when you prayed it. Then, of course, there's the other side of the path of assurance to which some may fall. On the other side are those who have prayed some kind of prayer or performed some kind of religious act and they believe that they know God when in fact they do not. I had a conversation about the gospel with someone that I love dearly and this person gave their testimony in church on a Sunday evening one time and this person was later baptized and then they had walked away from the Lord and when I was talking to them about the gospel and I asked them, I said, hey, I'm really, really concerned about your eternal soul. They responded by saying, hey, don't worry about me. I was baptized. I'm good. Greer offers a similar story to this. He recounts that one time he was playing basketball and a guy that he had met on the court were shooting hoops together and this guy was bragging the whole time about how many girls he was sleeping with and at one point, Greer began to share his story of how he came to Christ. The man replied, dude, are you trying to witness to me right now? To which Greer replied, "Um, well, yeah, I guess I am. The man said, hey, that's awesome. No one has tried to witness to me in years. Uh, But don't worry about me. I went to youth camp when I was 13 years old and asked Jesus into my heart. And I was legit. I went to youth group every week, memorized Bible verses, went on a mission trip. I even led friends to Jesus. About two years later, though, I discovered sex. And I didn't like the idea of God or anyone else telling me who or who I could not have sex with. So... I put God on hold for a little while. After a while longer, I just stopped believing altogether. But here's the thing. He said, the church that I grew up in taught eternal security. Once saved, always saved. That means that my prayer at 13 still holds. That means that if you're right and God exists and Jesus is the only way, then I'm safe. And if I'm right, then I haven't wasted my life going after a fairy tale. Okay, it's your shot. This is a sad reality 
and yet representative of what is going on in the hearts of many. It might not be that extreme or that pronounced, and yet this is the reality of what's going on in many hearts. So the question of assurance, the question of whether or not we belong to God, knowing with certainty that we are his children, is of utmost importance. 75, 85, 95 years of life in this present existence is nothing compared to the trillions upon trillions of ages that we will spend in eternity. So what could be more important than knowing where we'll spend that eternity? My hope, my prayer is that these next five weeks would bring great clarity to your relationship with God. If you are genuinely in Christ, then my prayer is that you would walk away from these five weeks with nothing but confidence and cause for rejoicing in your standing as God's child and that this confidence would be grounded in the truth. If you are not in Christ, my prayer is that God would open the eyes of your heart, that God would unstop your ears, that God would soften your heart and enable you to see the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ and that in response to seeing that you would turn from your sins and you would trust Jesus alone for your salvation and that God will rescue you from your sin and call you his child. Let's stop for a moment and pray to that end. Father, as we begin this series, as we begin to look at your word here in 1 John, we are crying out for the power of your Holy Spirit to be at work. Holy Spirit of God, would you come and would you work in each of our hearts, bringing about transformation? Oh God, would you bring about a deep, truth-grounded, and hope-filled confidence in each of your children's hearts as we sit in this room the next five weeks under the teaching of your word. And God, for those who have not yet turned from their sins and trusted in you, oh, Father, would you soften hearts and would you draw them to you for your name's sake, for your glory, and for our eternal joy. In Christ's name, amen. Well, please open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. This is on page 1023, if you grab the Bible from the seat there in front of you. As we jump into the text of 1 John, I want to make two notes about this particular book. Uh, Number one, John drives me crazy. Uh, I was talking to Katie about this one night, and I said, baby, John drives me nuts. He doesn't think like I do. He doesn't write like I do. She interrupted me, and she goes, you had better be careful. That is the word of God. (laughs) You see, what I meant was uh, John rarely sustains a clear line of argumentation for more than a couple lines or a couple of verses. Uh, He wanders about from subject to subject. The writer of the ESV Study Bible Notes puts it very, very kindly when he says that the letter of 1 John is symphonic. Uh, He starts one place and then he revisits it later with some kind of variation. I'm just thinking, no, he's all over the place and out of control. 
uh, it would be nearly impossible for someone like me with the way that God has wired my mind to start in 1 John 1, verse 1, and to preach all the way through those five chapters because I don't think like John does, and he probably thinks better than I do, and that's great, uh, but because I can't do it that way, we're just going to start in chapter 5, okay? Uh, secondly, the John who wrote 1 John is the same John who wrote the gospel according to John. So in order to understand or have a better understanding of many of the concepts and themes that we see in this letter, it'll be necessary at times for us to look at John's gospel, and we'll do that a little bit this morning. 1 John chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 11, because why not, right? 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. First truth that I want to draw our attention to this morning is that God has made eternal life available. God has made eternal life available and do not gloss over this reality as something that is familiar and unimpressive. Eternal life is not something that you or I deserve. God is not obligated to make eternal life available. It is not our American right to have eternal life. In fact... God made eternal life available in the beginning and mankind looked at their creator and said, no thanks, I think I know something better, but appreciate the offer. The Bible makes it clear that each of us, by virtue of being human, are deserving of eternal condemnation. We have fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, eternal death. Our sin against an infinitely holy God is deserving of his full wrath to be poured upon our heads for all eternity. Romans 3 reminds us that there is no one who does good, not even one. That no one seeks after God, that all have turned their own way and have become worthless. We have rebelled against our creator. We have rejected God Almighty and have turned instead towards self-indulgence, doing whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, for whatever reason we want, or towards self-righteousness, saying, I can be good enough on my own. In our pride and in our sin, we oppose God. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses. We are sons of disobedience and children of wrath. And yet, because of the great love with which God loves us, he has extended the opportunity for us to have eternal life. So when you hear God has made eternal life available, pause, consider Rejoice in the kindness, the abundance of God's goodness towards us. The verse says that God gave us, in verse 11, that God gave us 
eternal life. Eternal life is something that God gives. It cannot be earned. It cannot be merited. It cannot be purchased. Eternal life must be given by God, and if it is not given by God, then it will not be given at all. And so, what is eternal life? In one sense, it's easy to respond to this question, right? It's life that has no end. But John describes eternal life as something far more than just life with an unending duration. In John 4, 14, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, and here's what he says to her. Uh, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of life, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In this sense, eternal life means to have one's spiritual hunger and thirst satisfied. It is qualitative, not just quantitative. It is having a soul that is no longer striving after anything. It is to have such an intimacy with the Lord that your soul is no longer striving for love and looking for it in all the wrong places. It is to have such a glimpse and vision of the beauty and the glory of God that you no longer feel as though beauty and glory is somewhere else out there and you must look for it because it is something that you have attained in God. It's as Augustine said, O oh God, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. In John 17, 3, Jesus is praying, and he says this, and this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life, dear friends, is to know Jesus. Eternal life is not just quantitative life with an unending duration, though it is that. It is far more than that. It is to know God. It is to be satisfied in God. It is to have a soul that is at rest and peace and in infinite delight. Psalm 16, verse 11, reminds us that in God's presence there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is eternal life, and this God has given to helpless and hopeless rebels who never could have gained it on our own. God has made eternal life available. Look at verse 11, please, again. This is a testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I love how simple John is. He says this, if I have the son, I have life. Period. He is so crystal clear in this verse that there is only one way for us to have eternal life. There is only one way for us to have a satisfied soul both now and for all eternity. And that only way, the one way to have eternal life is to have the Son of God. It is by having Jesus. He is the only way to obtain eternal life. 
There is no other way to obtain eternal life. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be sorry enough. You cannot be rich enough. You cannot be good looking enough. You cannot be talented enough. You cannot be smart enough. You cannot be educated enough. You cannot be religious enough. You cannot be fill in the blank with whatever you or our world prizes and values. There is simply not enough that you or I could ever do to affect eternal life. The only thing, the one thing that you and I need is to realize that we have nothing if we do not have the Son. We have nothing if we do not have Jesus. So what does it mean to have the Son? It means simply to trust in Jesus. To trust in him alone for the salvation of your soul. It means to turn away from your sins and turn towards Jesus. It means to abide in him, that is, to remain in him, to stay in him. We'll come back to this concept over the next couple weeks. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son, Jesus. In case John wasn't clear enough, he goes on to give you the negative side of it. He brings greater clarity by saying, and if you don't have the Son, you do not have eternal life. It's that simple. Dear friends, if you do not have the Son, then you do not have life and there is no third option. And then we get to verse 13. In this verse, John discloses his main purpose in writing the book of 1 John. There have been several times already throughout the first four chapters where John says, I have written these things so that, giving other reasons why he wrote the book, uh, he gives reasons like, I have written these things so that our joy may be complete. He says things like, I have written these things so that you may not sin. He says, I have written these things so that you may not go after false doctrine. He's written it for all of these reasons, and yet there's this one main reason, and I believe if we get this reason, if we really understand this reality, then it takes care of all of the other purposes and reasons for which John is writing. In verse 13, John tells us why he wrote this letter. He says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants me to know that I have eternal life. This book of 1 John is, this, this sentence right here is not written to anyone who picks up the book of 1 John. It's written to those who believe in the name of Jesus. And here is the gloriously beautiful reality. Believer in Christ, brother or sister, God Almighty wants you to know that you are his. He wants you to know that you have the son and therefore you have eternal life. God wants you to have a settled certainty in your soul that you belong to him. That when his eyes scan the hearts of all the individuals on the face of the earth, when he comes upon yours, he exclaims, mine. That's my son, that's my daughter. He wants us to know with certainty that that is what he would say. Not to hope so, not to think so, but to know so. 
You see, John's purpose in this letter is not to convince unbelievers of their need for salvation. He wrote another book to accomplish that purpose, the Gospel of John. In fact, when he ends the Gospel of John, he says in 2031, but these things are written so that you may believe in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. So the Gospel of John was written so that we might believe, but now in 1 John, he's writing to those who do believe so that they might know they have eternal life. This book, think about this, this book, one of only 66 books that God Almighty has revealed and given to his people is written so that God's children would have assurance of the fact that they belong to him. How kind of the Lord. How gracious of the Lord. How confident and bold of the Lord. And how gloriously comforting for us that God would be so concerned about his children knowing with certainty that we belong to him. Why would God do this? I think at least two reasons. Reason number one is because he loves us. Why would God want his children to know that we have eternal life, that we are his children, that we do in fact belong to him? Because he loves us. You think about it, if you really love someone, you don't want them to always be questioning or wondering whether or not you love them. Uh, I love my wife a lot, and I tell her that often. In fact, uh, I love you has to be the last phrase out of my mouth every night. I'm confident it gets annoying to her uh, because it's like, all right, baby, I love you. Oh, hey, by the way, in the morning, we've got that, and we're talking for a little bit. Okay, I love you. Okay, but, 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 okay, I love you. It has to be the last thing out of my mouth because I want her going to bed every night confident and sure that I love her so deeply. I tell my kids the same thing all the time. Sometimes I'll look at Asher and I'll say, hey, buddy, guess what? Or I'll look at Evie and I'll say, hey, baby, guess what? Daddy loves you. And they just like make some kind of weird noise or face or, I don't know, run off. I want the people that I love in my life to know that I love them. And I know that's true of you as well. And if you and I can get this, then surely God gets this. He wants us to know that he loves us. This leads to the second reason. God wants me to know that I have eternal life because knowing I am loved enables me to love him. Knowing that I am loved by God enables me to love God in return. I think sometimes our thinking in this area can be so ungodly. We think, wouldn't it be better if he left us in uncertainty? Right, like then God could squeeze more obedience out of our lives. If we're always wondering, we're always trying to be good enough and then God could get more out of us. We reason that removing the threat of punishment unleashes us to sin. If God were to allow us to have confidence in our status as his children, then it removes the stick, so to speak. It's a bit like the whole concept of diplomatic immunity, right? There's a foreign diplomat that's residing in another country and they are somehow outside of the law. Simply because they're an official of another country, they don't have to abide by the laws of the country in which they're residing. 
And so diplomats have abused diplomatic immunity by racking up $17 million in unpaid parking tickets. And we wonder what's wrong with the world. This is small and minute, but this goes all the way up to the Burmese ambassador, now Myanmar, when he was living in Sri Lanka. He discovered his wife's alleged adultery. He killed her. He constructed a funeral pyre in their front yard and burned her body in front of the world, watching on TV, and in front of the police in that country. All fear of punishment removed and therefore free to do whatever I want. You see, we can be so ungodly in our thinking sometimes. Yet God knows in his infinite wisdom that grace does not work like diplomatic immunity. That grace is far, far greater. God knows the power of conversion. God knows the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit who takes up residence inside of each of his children. God knows the power of grace. If you think about it, holding out the fear of punishment to force love is not the way that any genuine loving relationship works. And it is certainly not the way that our relationship with God works. We love because he first loved us. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. It is, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. We do not learn to love when we are threatened with punishment. Real love grows in the soil of security. This sounds like 1 John 4, 18, the verse right before that. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. Whoever has the life, I'm sorry, whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. John writes these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you might know you have eternal life. He wants you to know, brother and sister in Christ. God wants you to be sure of your salvation, sure of your eternal status, sure of your eternal destination and existence. God wants you to know because he loves you. And those whom he loves, he doesn't want to think, I think God loves me. I really hope God loves me. No, he wants us to know because as we know that God loves us, it in turn enables us to love him. It stirs up confidence and surety and hope within our souls and it enables us to direct our lives and to point our worship in his direction as he who saved us out of darkness and brought us into light. Jesus said in John 10, 28 through 29, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. What happens 
when you have assurance of your salvation? What happens when you believe that you belong to the Father? What happens when you are sure that you are in God's hand? And what happens when you are certain that you do in fact have eternal life? You can exclaim the words of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We can exclaim, we are God's children. We can say with certainty and confidence, I am a child of God. For the next four weeks, we're going to be answering two questions. Next week, how can I know that relationship with God is even possible? And then the three weeks after that, how can I know that I do in fact have relationship with God Almighty? Brothers and sisters in Christ, God's word does not declare to us, I have really, really good news. There's a 90% chance that you will not spend eternity separated from God. Let's sing. God's word declares that God Almighty in the person of Jesus Christ has come down from heaven and has died on the cross for our sins and has offered us eternal life if we would turn from our sins and trust in him. And when we have confidence, when we have surety, when we have hope in this reality, this is what enables God's people to gather week after week and to exclaim, praise God, hallelujah, and rejoice in God's grace and kindness. And so, Father, this morning, we do exactly that. We rejoice in your goodness. We rejoice in your kindness. We rejoice in your confidence and in your boldness. We rejoice in your sovereignty, God, that when you say that you have given eternal life, there is none who can contest to that reality. God, we rejoice that you have made eternal life available. We rejoice that anyone who has the Son has eternal life, and God, you have given the Son. Jesus, you have given yourself. Holy Spirit, you have enabled us to embrace the truth that you are available to rescue us from our sin. Oh God, we thank you that you have written to us an entire letter so that we might know that we have eternal life. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me who the Son sets free. Oh, is free indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. <laughs>